name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness can only be understood fully in light of its larger biblical context. The immediate context of the temptation is the life of Christ in the New Testament. Jesus, after his uh, birth and the infancy narratives, we're told how that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And in his baptism, the Spirit descended upon him and he was proclaimed to be the Son of God. Then immediately he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. And his ministry does not begin until after this test, and he is able to begin his ministry only because he faithfully passes this test. This is a recurring theme throughout Scripture. We see it in the creation. God forms man from the dust of the ground and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, the, the theme of the Spirit animating, calling the first man. Then God through a tree in the garden attests. Because Adam failed that test, he abdicated his vocation. He couldn't fulfill it, and he was kicked out of the garden. This is the story of Israel in the wilderness. They, that God led them out of Egypt from slavery, led by the Spirit through the Red Sea. As St. Paul says, Israel was baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And then immediately Israel was sent into the wilderness to be tested. Israel likewise failed this test and was not able to fulfill its vocation to enter the Promised Land. Israel could not enter the Promised Land until all of the unfaithful adults died. We can see this pattern also in the stories of Kings David and Saul, Saul being the first. Saul was anointed king by God, by Samuel the prophet, and he became king, but he immediately faced a couple of significant tests. One in his command to conduct war against the Amalekites in a particular way, another in a requirement that he wait for Samuel to arrive and offer a certain kind of sacrifice. Saul failed both of those tests. And because he failed both of those tests, Saul was, not, was removed as king by God. And David was anointed instead. After David was anointed as king, it's kind of a strange thing when you read the Old Testament, David's made king and immediately he has to run for his life from Saul who wants to kill him because Saul's not so happy that there's another king. David spends years wandering in the wilderness running from Saul. And David has a couple of significant tests in the wilderness. There are two times when David has the opportunity to kill King Saul and end his wanderings. Both times David refuses to do so. He says, I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. He waits for God's justice in God's time. And because he passes this test, David is able to become king, able to fulfill his vocation. And thus Jesus in his temptation in the wilderness is both fulfilling all these Old Testament types and bringing them to fruition 
and also setting a pattern for us. We receive the gift of the Spirit in baptism. We become God's chosen people. And we are tested. And we are not able to fully enter into the ministries, the service God has for us, until we prove ourselves faithful in our own times of trial. Now, we are accustomed to thinking of trial as occurring mainly in times of need. We're in the wilderness, we're without, we ask God things, we're tested when we don't have things. But prosperity and success are equally a test of our faith. And we think for a minute, King David was faithful in his trial in the wilderness, his main failure came after he had established his kingdom and had peace and had a lot of leisure and was wandering on the roof of the palace, looked down and saw a beautiful woman. That was a test he failed. We see, we tend to think of the wilderness as the place where Israel is prepared to enter the promised land, and in the promised land they, they had some kind of fulfillment. But the promised land for Israel became another test as they settled in the promised land and conquered their enemies and had prosperity. They began to worship idols and they began to turn from God. They began to say in the words of Deuteronomy, my own arm and the strength of my hand has gotten me this wealth. And the result of the promised land failure was that Israel was kicked out of the promised land. Prosperity is a test because when we receive things, our natural tendency is to become attached to them. And they become idols for us. And so the test is, can we be faithful with the things just as we're faithful without the things? And times of wilderness, we're quick to pray, and God help us and deliver me. Then when we have the things, can we be as faithful with them as we are without them? This is why God, when he gives us things, then calls us to give them back. So God gives the child to Abraham after a quarter century of praying and waiting. And God says, now take this son that you prayed and waited for for this time and go offer him as a sacrifice. Give him back. This is because we've become so attached to things. It's not that God wants to take them away. The paradox is that when we take the gifts of God and treat them as possessions, we cease to be able to enjoy them as they're intended as gifts. They become idols. So God calls us continually to give back, and that becomes a subsequent source of blessing. Abraham now receives Isaac back, but now he has him in a new way, as, as that gift, as that promised son, but not as an idol. This is the principle of tithing and generosity with regard to our material blessings. God gives us his sustenance, his provision, 
And in calling us to tithe, to give back the first part, he calls us in this token giving. The, the first part represents the whole. We give back to him. We acknowledge this as his. And then after that, God calls us to live life with a generous open hand. And for all who practice generosity in these ways, they know that this becomes a, a subsequent source of blessing. As Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And a blessing comes upon us. The, the things we have, once we give them back, we are free to enjoy them. And it is not possible to be faithful with the material things that God gives us unless we learn to practice faithfulness and giving and generosity. The paradox here is that our prosperity tends to become its own spiritual wilderness. And the wilderness becomes a source of spiritual blessing. When we have things, we become attached to them and we subtly drift away from dependence upon God or from faith. And we reach this dry spiritual place where we have so much but are so far from God. It's a characteristic of our time. And in the wilderness, when we don't have things, we call out to God. And we experience His presence in, in new ways. This is the logic of Lent. We are given this season of opportunity to dispossess, to, to detach, to create space in the wilderness to create a kind of wilderness experience in our lives. <clears throat> and when we do that, God enters into our lives in new ways. We experience renewed blessing from God. It's not that material things are bad, it's just that we don't have, know how to handle them very well. We're learning how to handle them. This is part of our vocation. We are heirs of the world to come. But before God can give us all that inheritance, he has to teach us how to use it rightly, how to be stewards, recipients of the gift, and not idolaters. Another form of testing, there's, when we don't have things, when we have things, and then a third form of testing is when we fail what happens when we fail the test. And we've all failed the test. We've all faced a circumstance where, where God called us to rise up and do something. And in that moment, we didn't quite do what we were called to do. This is also a test of how we respond. And King David is very instructive here in contrast with King Saul. Because King David failed in a, in a big way. But what happened when David failed? When the prophet Nathan came and said, you're the man. David listened to that convicting voice of God, acknowledged his sin. In Psalm 51, which we beautifully sung on Ash Wednesday, and it's is the quintessential penitential psalm, is tradition tells us God, uh, David's articulated confession of his Bathsheba, sin 
God, David accepted that verdict, confessed his sin, accepted the consequence God gave to him of exile, and said, whatever you have for me, I will accept. This contrasts greatly with Saul. When the prophet confronted Saul of his sin, he refused to acknowledge it, held on tightly to his position as king, and lost it all. What do we do when we encounter failure in the spiritual life, when we fall? Do we listen to God's convicting voice that leads us to a renewed sense of repentance and grace, of forgiveness, and then leads us to learn the lesson that we acquire through our failure and move on to live in a new way? That is God's intention in times of failure. Human nature wants to say, oh, I'm horrible now because I didn't pass the test and I can never be forgiven and I can and enter into sort of self-loathing and self-rejection. And it's important here to understand the purpose of testing from God's perspective and from the perspective of the evil one who is present in our gospel today as the tempter. God's purpose in allowing us to be tested is first to see if our faith is genuine and second to develop our faith. Testing is like exercise. You can't become stronger <clears throat> unless you encounter opposition, resistance, and work to to work against it to become stronger. And in exercise, the essential truth is you have to fail in order to become stronger. You have to attempt the thing you can't do in order to overcome it next time and do it. And so God tests us and calls us to be faithful. And when we fall a little bit short, he calls us to come back to the altar of God, to confess our sins, to receive new strength, and to go back and fight the battle again with a little more strength and a little greater wisdom. The devil's purpose in temptation is to get us to give up. The devil's purpose is not merely to get us to sin, but in getting us to sin, getting us to disobey, to lead us into despair, to lead us to think that because we failed here, we're just a failure. And we might as well give up this idea that we can be a follower of God. To say, there is no hope for me. This despair that the devil tempts us to is its own form of pride. Because when we believe that we believe a lie, it's, it's, it's to deny the cross and the grace of God who, who died for our sins and forgives us. So we always must remember that, that failure is significant in our testing. What do we do next? Do we confess? Do we hear God's voice? Do we receive the grace of God? And do we move on in a new way? Or do we fall into self-loathing and despair and, and do we fall into that subtle pride 
that cuts us off from God. The point of all this is that all of life is a test. And the nature of all of life being a test is rooted in the idea that nothing here is ultimate. Everything in this life is preparatory. We are preparing for resurrection and life in the world to come. Just as Lent prepares us for Easter and resurrection, so this life prepares us for our ultimate resurrection and renewal. And everything we experience in this life, we are called to experience in that light. The trials we are called to experience faithfully, to seek God and ask for his help and deliverance, to see how he calls us to grow in and through them. In our prosperity, we're called to be faithful, as stewards, to not let ourselves fall into idolatry and grasping, but to give and to, to let go, as St. Paul said in our lesson, as, as having nothing yet possessing all things. In our failure, we're supposed to rise up, make a good confession, as David did, and receive the grace of God and begin to live again. And it's important to remember as we face tests that God wants us to succeed. God is with us in him. As our psalm, uh, our, our gradual psalm, he, he will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. That's speaking about Christ, but we live in Christ. And so God's grace and God's angels are always with us. As Corinthians says, God is faithful. He will not allow us to be tested beyond our ability, but will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape that we may be able to endure it. And yet, the point is, God still has to ask us the question, has to test, is our faith genuine? Do we really believe in God? Do we really trust his promises? Will we act faithfully when we encounter opposition, giving up the things we see for the things we can't see? As Moses said to the Israelites in Deuteronomy, God, remember how God led you these 40 years in the wilderness, sending hardships to test you, to know what was in your hearts, whether you would keep his commandments or not. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me.